This is episode number 383 with Daryl Eaves of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, Nathan here. Welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is Daryl Eves, founder of VidSummit and an all-round YouTube expert, growth master. If you've ever wanted to grow a YouTube channel, then you're in the right place. Like across all his channels, Daryl has helped generate over 60 billion YouTube views, generate over 50 million subscribers. Uh, today, he runs Vid Summit. It's a conference where people like leading creators like Mr. Beast share their learnings and insights on what it takes to really grow a YouTube channel. And in today's episode, you're going to walk away with so much gold on how to grow a YouTube channel. This is an absolute treat. We were taking copious notes on how to grow our YouTube channel. So without further ado, now let's jump in the show. And if you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. Now let's jump in. Daryl, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Well, it all started when I was eight years old. I actually uh, fell in love with ads and I would, um, you know, I, I was kind of mesmerized of the Super Bowl ads and I'm like, man, I just want to make Super Bowl ads one day. And I found myself asking a lot of people uh, specifically at my age, I was eight years old, um, what ads they liked. And I started to see that there was like patterns between what people liked, especially Super Bowl ads. And then it kind of evolved where I really love sketch comedy. I really love Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live. And I found myself um, even being drawn to that. And it wasn't until later I realized I just like to, well, I want to create content that people will talk about after they watch it, like at school or at work or at play, whatever that is. I just, that's what I was probably the most interested uh, in. And uh, so my whole desire was to uh, start out and, you know, work with an ad agency and make Super Bowl ads. 
Um, and I, I was going on that career path and I, I had a very hard decision uh, to make, which was, do I leave to go to Chicago, New York, or LA to pursue my desires, um, you know, of, of making Super Bowl ads, or do I just start my own agency and just kind of give up on my dreams of that uh, because I want to be close to family? And I decided to be close to family. And little did I know that just in a few years, I would discover uh, a platform, YouTube, that literally was fulfilling a desire that I that I knew I wanted to do, which is getting people to talk about my videos and and you know doing very disruptive things with video content. Um, and that's kind of how it all started. And um, little did I know that I would be getting Super Bowl numbers of people talking about my videos. Uh, that that's like 10x the Super Bowl <laughs> or 20x. I mean, we we've done uh, we're almost at 70 billion video views that we've generated on YouTube, um, and another about 40 billion on Facebook. And so, I don't know. That's kind of how I got started in this, and it was just more. Um, just following my passions. And then ultimately when things opened up online um, that I knew I could just be anywhere in the world and do what I love. That's kind of the, the um, I don't know, that's when I found the most reward uh, for me as a creator. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. So look, those are big numbers. I'm curious, when did you, when did you start your agency? So I started it back in 99. Uh, so the agency was um, when I decided, hey, I'm not going to go work for, uh, you know, some ad agency there. I was just going to work with local businesses. And so I did a lot of mom and pop shops. And so I would do website design. And then for me, if I was going to do a website, I wanted to rank it in directories at the time. So it was like Ask Jeeves, you know, Yahoo, Alta Vista, you know, stuff like that. This is like pre-Google. Google was just about emerging at that time. And um, so I was, I was doing all that. And then we just did a lot of hosting too. So I just kind of got my my teeth uh, cut into doing internet marketing. Um, and at that time, just to let you to be, to be totally transparent at that time, it was called spam. It was just like, how much can I actually, you know, manipulate the algorithms and stuff like that so that I can show at the top. And, and uh, that's what we did for a period of time, for sure. When did you start on YouTube and how many actual YouTube channels do you have like, uh, cause yeah, it's crazy. Like, uh, we read your book, like, yeah, I'd love to know, like, when did you start and how many channels do you have and how, how many subscribers? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, YouTube was introduced when I, uh, was going on to Craigslist to, to get a desk. I was looking for a, a free desk or a desk that was just a little bit cheaper, uh, cause we were kind of expanding our marketing team. And um, I, I, I saw this ad and it was October 2005. And just to keep in mind, that was just a few months after YouTube started um, that I discovered YouTube through Craigslist because they were trying to get people to, to, to sign up. And I remember uh, very vividly, um, my jaw just figuratively hit the ground because I saw that you could actually play a video and it didn't have to buffer all the way to the end before it started to play. It just played. And then I saw that you can embed those videos on websites. And the first thing that came to my mind is first off, um, you know, I can literally upsell every one of my website clients to have a web a video on there. And so we, you know, that was kind of the dollar, the dollar signs went through my mind there is like, Hey, here's an easy upsell. Um, and then the second thing was, is how cool this was um, to see video uh, display this way. I think the only thing that was 
Somewhat cool at the time was MySpace uh, with some of the video content they were doing, but it wasn't even remotely close to the same of what actually happened on, on YouTube. So uh, that then and there, I basically went all in on YouTube. I, um, you know, ranked uh, pretty much, I was using it to uh, create videos for my website clients. We did 865 videos over the course of 2006 and into 2007. Uh, in 2006 is when uh, YouTube bought, I'm sorry, YouTube was purchased by Google for $1.65 billion. And um, I started to see in 2007, all these videos that I did on the website start to show up above my, my website that I was ranking uh, in the Google search results. So on page one, sometimes we had four or five videos that we've made that were actually showing up above our website. So that's when I went all in on video. And I'm like, hey, I love doing this. Um, and if I don't have to fight with Matt Cuts, who is the anti-spam czar, um, at, at Google to get my websites to rank and I just do video, no one's doing it. This is great. I'm going to do it. And so that's where it started. And then, uh, eventually, um, I started to work with the true power, uh, which I view as the true power of online video, which is creating audiences and then leveraging that. And that led to, um, working with some of the top, uh, YouTube channels in the world and, uh, some of the top brands in, in the industry. Um, and then you asked very specifically how many YouTube channels we own. Uh, we, we own 19. And of those 19, uh, they all have a gold play button. In fact, we had 27 of them. We, some of them we partner with other people, but I don't own them all outright. They just own a percentage, but we own 19, um, you know, outright. All those 19 have over a million subscribers? Yeah. 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 Wow. That's wild. I think collectively, yeah, I think collectively we're, you know, pushing 50 million. That's impressive. So let's jump in. Like, what does it take to build a big YouTube channel? Like, 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 let's, let's jump in. Like, talk us through that. Well, I, I don't like to say I'm going to be building a big YouTube channel. I, I basically want to say, okay, what is my end goal? What is my end result? Um, and so let me tell you about one of the uh, YouTube channels that we got to uh, a million subscribers. In fact, we're at 1.4 million subscribers right now on the channel. Um, it was the end result was uh, myself and my partner uh, wanted to crowdfund a project. We wanted to do this a little bit differently. And um, we had an idea. And basically, we wanted to create enough buzz about this idea that it would help facilitate um, the, the crowdfund. And so what we did is we did a, a reggae. Um, and it was just like, how do we get people to know about this? You know, what's the way that we're going to do that? So we decided to go all in on social media, uh, based off of my, uh, background like, let's build the audience first and then like help them understand what our vision is and help them be a part of it. And then as we bring them on, they can become ambassadors for us or, you know, cause they're partners. And then, you know, they're just kind of, you know, kind of pushing out to the world that way. Um, and just to give everyone the power of this, our goal wasn't to get a million subscribers. Our goal was to raise enough money that we could do the first season of the TV show, which was over $10 million. And uh, what we did was not only did we break the all-time crowdfunding record, we blew it out of the water. We 2X'd it. Um, and this is like, like literally going over top of brands like Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Veronica Mars. Those are the ones that held that record. And we blew it with no audience and we were just developing that audience. And so we did that as A, to raise the money. And then the uh, B was 
to start uh, promoting the show even before it was actually made. And so we actually started production and we started using video to inform people about this TV show that they didn't even see. And so we were doing behind the scenes before the show even came out. And usually they do it after the fact, but we were doing it for more uh, cultivating and developing an audience before that actually know and love our TV show. And uh, that's kind of how it all started. And so I don't want anyone to think, oh, all I want is subscribers. Like get that out of your head. Like literally just push it aside and put it where it belongs, which is in the back of you. Like what you need to think about is what's your ultimate goal and figure out what that finish line is. And then what you need to do is figure out, okay, how does YouTube help me with that goal? And for us, it was first off getting the crowdfunding. Second off, it was getting people to love and know our product and want to get it out to more people. And that's how we were able to do it. Now, is it our goal 100% to get 10 million subscribers on YouTube? Absolutely not. Um, it would be a byproduct of us being really good at what we want to do, which is getting people to be more passionate about our TV show, that they share it with other people and share our content that will lead to them watching the TV show. Because uh, TV, I mean, we only have eight episodes a season. If you only do one, um, you know, one season a year, that's a lot of disconnect between the brand. And so we're using the, the, the social content to kind of build that up. So for me, always think of the finish line of what you're using it for. Um, and, and two, uh, when you're very, uh, very tactical in creating the plan to get to that finish line, utilizing YouTube, uh, the byproduct of that will always be growing an audience and, and getting more views. It's going to always be that, uh, but don't think that that has to be your, your massive play. I know a lot of people that make seven, eight figure on YouTube and they don't even have 10,000 subscribers. It's just like the, the, you can use it for what it is. You just need to know how to leverage it to do what you want it to do to get you to that that uh, finish line. Yeah, wow, interesting. So, like, there's a lot of um, you know big creators in 2021 recording this video, doing some crazy things. Do you think it's still possible to build a, a large audience or, or or a meaningful YouTube channel of of really strong substance? I think today is the best time to ever create a YouTube channel. Um, it's matured. They, you know what it is. It's, it's easy when you have great content to, to create channels that, that will resonate in, in every regard. I think the difference would be is there's a lot of history and data that you can make better decisions of what to create and what not to create based off of that. And then two, uh, the platform's matured enough that you're able to get the analytical data that's needed to course correct as you need to course correct. And so um, every year our, or our company actually starts two new channels. Um, and and uh, we started one back in uh, January. We're starting another one in September. Um, and I wouldn't be starting channels if I couldn't get it to, you know, the, the, the mass, massive audience that I was looking to if it was a dead, um, you know, a dead platform. Yeah, wow. And like, can you talk us through like, okay, you started that, that um, you start a new channel in January. What, what are some of the things that you're doing to start with? Like for anyone watching this that are starting, what, what, what does your playbook look like? Because obviously you have a formula and I know you've written about it in your book. Um, you, yep. Yeah, you've done some incredible things, putting out great content around what that looks like. But I'd love to talk it through here now. I, I would say for me personally, it's different than um, the average person. So the average person looks at the end product of the video 
And I think that's the biggest mistake. You need to be able to understand who's going to be watching it that would actually find value in it. And you need to understand them more of what their likes and dislikes are and some of their psychographics of what they do online, offline, and how their day is and how, how the engagement happens. Um, I think that's where you got to facilitate the offering before you even create the content. And so some of the biggest mistakes that creators make is, oh, I got this video. Let's just put it on YouTube and it's going to get a whole bunch of views. Well, if the video wasn't made for YouTube, then it's not going to perform. You know, you need to be able to say, okay, here's the platform and let's figure out the audience. Because when you figure out the audience on YouTube, YouTube does its thing, which is its whole goal of, of existing is to find what viewers want to watch. Okay, when you, when you do that, and then also their next goal is to keep them on the platform longer. So if you have content that resonates with a specific demographic and, uh, you know, it, like when you break it down to this specific type of viewer, YouTube will go and find viewers for you. And that's the thing that most people don't really put into to, um, uh, their, their plan is, oh, I'm going to make content that I love and I'm going to do it. Well, who's the, who's, who's the audience? And if you're the audience, don't expect more than one view, because if it's just for you, then you just expect one view. But when you take it back and say, okay, how am I going to bring value to these people? And you start to understand these people, then you're providing value in a way where not only they're going to watch a video, but they might watch two or three or four videos. They might binge watch the whole, the, you know, everything that's on your channel within a short amount of time. Well, those are trigger points that YouTube AI looks at and says, oh, they do this and there's other people that would do this too. Let's go ahead and test the content, see if they like this content. And that's how you start to grow on YouTube is when the algorithm starts to recommend your videos in front of the right type of people or the people that they think that would actually respond well. Um, and that's when you see the massive growth. And you talk about building a loyal audience. Um, can you talk us through kind of how you go about re relationship building? Yeah, so in any type of transaction, um, and this is probably the best example that I can give you, okay? Any type of transaction, and it is a transaction, when someone clicks on your video, they have certain expectations, right? Um, it's like, it's your opportunity to sell them to watch another video. Um, even if there isn't anything in there, it's like, what's gonna bring them the most value that they'll actually wanna watch more. Now, the value might be to educate them. The value might be to entertain them or to inspire them, or it might be all three, but you gotta really look at, okay, what, what makes this piece of content valuable? Um, some of the best marketers of all time is when they don't actually pay for marketing. They don't actually do paid ads. Uh, look at Tesla, for example they actually have a loyal cult following. And I'll use the cult following as, as uh, the reality because it is. It's like Elon Musk says something and everybody does it, you know what I'm saying? And uh, he, he's created this buzz. And a lot of people think, well, that's because he's Elon Musk. Well, no, there's, there's content creators that come up every day. What you need to do is establish yourself as that leader of someone that's gonna provide something for them. Now, in Elon's case, he's inspiring people. And he's pushing the envelope to the nth degree in all different aspects of getting people to Mars, right? I mean, that's the end goal. The reason why he has everything is very clear. And I think what you got to do as a, as a content creator, whether you're a brand or a business or a creator, is define how can you, as an individual, lead a specific group. So if you're really passionate about something, if you're always giving them news and you're giving your opinion, that's value that people have. 
and they're viewing you as, oh my gosh, he's saying this X, Y, or Z, I got to go do this. And, and, or I need to be a part of this. It is so engaging. I can't miss this. And that's the power of social media. That's the power of YouTube is when you're able to do it that way. And a lot of people are very afraid um, to be on camera and, and that's okay. There's other ways to lead in different regards to do it. But by far, if you want to really influence individuals in the way it's like they need to be able to see you and know what you, you're about and know that you're gonna stay on brand. And if you really look back at all the biggest YouTube channels of all time, even though they don't see you on camera, uh, it could be just your voiceover, but it's your consistency of providing that value is what's growing the audience and what, what, they're, what they're passionate in, what they really love. Um, and when you're connecting with them and, and they're emotionally connected to you, um, they're always looking forward to your next video and they're going to be coming to your meetups and they're going to be buying your merch and any products that you have because you're speaking to them on a deeper level through your content. Yeah, I love it. And when it comes to Vid Summit, can you tell us about how that idea came about? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I don't, not a lot of people ask me that question, so I'm, I'm really grateful for it. But um, I, I've had a lot of case studies on YouTube and I was always asked to speak and train around the world and I'd be keynoting and going to these conferences. And I, I'm uh, an obsessive learner. I, I, I feel like I need to learn every day um, to, to just better myself as a person uh, in all aspects, whether it's, you know, business or spiritual or whatever. I'm just always trying to improve um, and, and to navigate this world. And I really love conferences. I do. I love learning uh, from conferences. And I think the reason why I love learning from conferences is because it gives people a platform to teach in a way that they don't normally have it. So like you might get a CMO of, of some company coming and sharing strategies and tactics or whatever it may be. And um, I just noticed that there wasn't really a conference for a person like me. Like I'd get maybe one or two golden nuggets, but it wasn't like literally catered to what I, what I would find valuable. And I'm not one to sit back and complain. Like if I see that there's an issue <laughs> or a problem, I will literally not complain and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go right for it. And so I just said, look, if there's not a conference for me and I went out there and I went to all these and it's like either this or that I liked or whatever, but I didn't really like the way they did this. What can I do? Well, I started my own conference. And so I basically says, who do I want to learn from? I made a list. Uh, and one of the people on the list uh, was Tommy Powers. And I'm like, I want to know everything that Tommy knows about ads. And so I'm going to invite him to my conference. And we knew each other a little bit because we're in the industry, right? And we respected each other, but I wanted to learn from him on stage. And so for me, I made my small list of 10, 10 creators and 10 creators, business people, because it's the business side of, of YouTube, this business side of video. And I, I want to learn. And so that's how the first Vid Summit actually started was people that I was actually interested in learning from. And that's what it's been for eight, you know, um, eight years is just like seeing what do I want to know? What do I want to understand? So the best way to get on stage is, hey, if you have something to teach me, I'm, I'm willing to learn and I want to learn. And I don't care if you're just six months into the industry. I think I can learn something from you. If you can make it interesting for me, I know it'll be interesting for the audience. And so thus again, the, the audience is, is, I know there's people like me that feel like they want to uh, learn from other people that don't have a platform to teach and if I'm fulfilling that need, that's kind of um, where VidSummit's really exploded and we sell out every year, you know, so. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, look, I um, only found out about yourself, Vid Summit, probably in the past six to 12 months. And like, yeah, some of the creators that you've got, like some of the biggest creators have, have spoke uh, on the stage. Um, so one of them is uh, Mr. Beast, uh, Jimmy. And, uh, yep. you know, you guys have worked closely together. I'd love to know kind of how is that relationship formed and then also, because he's one of my favorite YouTubers, uh, and then also kind of what, what do you think he's doing that makes him so successful on the platform? Well, I think um, I can uh, answer that question fairly easy. Um, we met because we're both data nerds. We love, we love data and we love really trying to figure things out. And uh, I got a DM from him on Twitter. He says, hey, I just watched one of your presentations that you gave at VidCon. I just love to talk data. And so he had probably 3 million subscribers at the time. And um, so I, I called him up and we talked for an hour and he's like, dude, tell me where you're at right now. I'm like, I'm in Dallas, Texas. He goes, I will be there in six hours. Like, you're not going to be here in six hours. He says, I will be here in six hours. Sure enough, six hours later, he was there in Dallas, Texas. And we spent uh, a full day uh, together and just talking data, just talking strategy, talking YouTube, we just loved it, right? And it, it's, it's like we were kindred spirits and the things that I cared about, he cared about and vice versa. And um, when we were having a conversation during that day, um, I was very curious because I'm a curious person because I want to know what the end goal is. And I says, look, like, like, why are you on YouTube? And he looked at me and with the most serious look that, that I could get from an individual and how, how focused he was, he said some words that was literally the opposite of what every creator I worked with before. And I, I mean, I've heard every answer in the song because I always ask that question because it tells me the true motivation. And he says, Daryl, I'm coming on YouTube because I'm going to be the biggest YouTuber of all time. Not I want to become the biggest YouTuber of all time. He goes, I'm going to become the biggest YouTuber of all time. And I asked him a follow-up question, and this is a really important follow-up question for me because I can pretty much base a lot of my questions off of data. And the data point that I needed is how willing was he willing to, to put into his content? And I says, hey, um, so a lot of YouTubers have like these, you know, amazing cars like Lambos, like what, what do you drive? And he goes, I know where you're going with this. And let me explain. He goes, I don't drive a Lamborghini, I drive a Buick. And the reason why, if I bought a Lamborghini, I would have to buy one for my boys. And that's taking away money I could reinvest into my business and, and to do it. Now, don't get, me, don't get me wrong. I'll probably give a Lamborghini away one day, and he has. Uh, but it will be content. And content will get me closer to my end goal, which is being the biggest YouTuber of all time. And I will not. I will spend every dollar, every minute. I will stay up late in the, at night, wake up early in the morning to become the biggest YouTuber of all time because that's what I'm going to do. I'm like, I'm sold. Like, I've literally, I was sold on that um, direction. We became really good friends. And, um, you know, I invited him to Vid Summit uh, just a, a couple months later. And no one knew what he was, who he was. He was sitting in the audience. And then he comes back the following year and he gained like 30 million subscribers after that. It's just like everybody like, oh, here he is. But no, he was 100% focused on um, becoming, um, you know, what he wanted to become, which is producing the best content that people have to watch and have to subscribe to. And uh, we won a couple of businesses together. And, uh, you know, I did some very intense consulting with him for, a, a, you know, since, since that time. Yeah. Wow. That's a really cool story. Thank you for sharing 
And uh, I remember now how I first found you. It was it was on Clubhouse. So so over the the summer holidays here in Australia, Clubhouse just came out, and uh, yep. yeah, I went. I was on a Clubhouse just just lurking, and then uh, yeah, I remember now, Mister Mister Beast Jimmy was on, and and then you jumped on, and and uh, you were very humble actually, and he and he introduced you, and he's like, oh, you don't know who Daryl is. Daryl's like. He's massive. He's got heaps of channels. And then I went down this rabbit hole working out who Daryl Eves is and then I'm, we bought your book and then I've been stuck. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's how I found out about you. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to us about kind of mistakes, common mistakes that you see creators make. What's the number one mistake you see creators make on YouTube? Well, that, that's a hard question to answer because there's so many different types of creators. And um, I, I think that um, if, like, I, I would assume that um, a lot of your audience is, they, they might have some presence on Twitter or they have some presence on Instagram and they're looking to come on to, to YouTube or they're using YouTube, but it may, might not be effectively, whether they're, uh, you know, a startup or whether, you know, they're just an influencer of sorts. Um, the biggest mistake that they make generally, and I'll put they in a group, is that I created this piece of content and I just need to put it on YouTube. They use YouTube as a repository of content instead of treating it as a place to really grow an audience that, that, that you just can't throw YouTube content on there or content on YouTube and expect it to be just accepted. Um, and I, I can honestly say that, um, you can repurpose as long as you frame it, you know, uh, and, and grow if it's more strategic, but you have to really look at, is it going to bring value to the specific viewer you're trying to cultivate, um, and grow from there. So I would say that's the biggest mistake. And then two, they don't know. Uh, I think the second thing would be is they don't know what it is. And more importantly, they don't know what it isn't. And so they treat it as a general type thing. And that's why they don't get any movement is because there's no strategy behind um, the content that is being created and surfacing publicly for the viewership. And so that's, that's the biggest mistakes that I found that either entrepreneurs or influencers make when they're coming onto YouTube uh, specifically. And then those that are on YouTube, <clears throat> they don't, um, they're not using it to, to, tactfully grow an audience or just like, it's like, Oh no, I just needed to be on YouTube because they said I need to be on YouTube or this is where I'm putting my, uh, stuff and I have emails that are going out. Well, no, we need to treat it as its own ecosystem and like not even try to promote it outside of YouTube very much where it's like really trying to grow the audience there. And I think that's what they're trying to do is blend the audiences there instead of treating it. Hey, there's new audiences here that I can develop if I'm really tactical of finding the value that they could find in my, in my content. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success you should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. 
These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. Talk to me about metrics. You said you, you're you big metrics guy. What do you look for when you publish a video? So the video goes live. What metrics? Yeah. Well, it, it's simple. If they don't click, they never watch. So you're never going to grow unless they click. So the CTR is something that I've always viewed as sacred. You know, how can we earn that click? And then how can we earn the view? Uh, is the two things. So the first one was click-through rate. And the, the next one would be, um, can I, once they start, can I actually get them to finish the video? Uh, so that, those are the two biggest metrics. But the one that I um, really know and understand is those are great and you can get those too. But what do they do next? That's that third metric that I believe that uh, most YouTubers and content creators don't really uh, think about. Uh, but for me, it's essential for growth because if I can get them to take action at the end of that video, uh, to watch another video, that right there is the biggest signal that YouTube has because I found someone that liked it so much that they clicked on it, but they got to the end of the video and they watched another one. So I'm, I'm achieving what YouTube wants, which is, getting people to watch videos, okay? And staying on the platform longer. Instead of just bouncing off of one video, they now watch two or three or four because of my content. And if that con that piece of content is getting people not only to click, but watch another video from my same library, you're telling me YouTube's not gonna go find people that would wanna click on it and get to the end of the video and watch two videos? I mean, that's, that's how you grow on YouTube. And um, those are the metrics that I look for now. Um, it's easy to say, but it's, it's very difficult to master. And um, that's why I wrote the book. That's why I do, you know, a mentoring program, program for 12 weeks is it takes so much to understand how to navigate the small tweaks that you need to make in your content to keep people on the platform longer. Yeah, I see. So I'd love to unpack this a little more, Daryl. Um, talk to me around CTR, like what in your world like every time you start a new YouTube channel, like the one you're going to start in September or the one you've started in January, what CTR are you and your team shooting for where you're like, yep, we're, we're doing a good job here? Like what, what does that look like? So CTR could be misunderstood. So uh, you're basically, you're click through it based off of impressions. So if you have like 10 impressions, that means 10 people actually saw it for longer than a second and you have uh, you know, an 80% click-through rate, you might think that that's amazing, right? You had 80% of the people off those 10 impressions. Um, but the higher the impressions go, the lower that click-through rate is. That's just the way that, that YouTube operates. And so um, it depends on where the, um, the traffic's coming from. So the thing that I'm the most sensitive to is where they come in from and who are the people that are watching those. And so, if people are coming from a high uh, number of them are actually, and I do this because it's archaic, but they're searching for a video, <laughs> um, you know, then there will be a click-through rate percentage there. So it's like, do I rank? And based off of that, how many people saw it that actually were appealed to my video versus others? That's the percentage that we're actually looking for. Um, or it could be YouTube homepage. And so the homepage is going out to a more general of an audience. 
Um, but you have the highest amount of opportunity to click because it's something that's enticing them from a discovery mode. Or when they're on a video, they see your video being suggested there. That's another way it's a high probability for them to click. So you're just, there's minimal competition compared to them trying to tactfully trying to find you. And that's where uh, that uh, discovery mode, which is homepage, subscription feed, and then also YouTube recommendation is where 75% of all video views happen on YouTube. So that's where, if you wanna grow, that's the type of views that you wanna get. Um, so to answer your question is, every one of those traffic sources that I just named has a different click-through rate percentage because uh, each traffic source, I know this is getting super geeky and that's why I wrote the book, but every traffic source is a different algorithm um, and it has different functions. And so you might see, oh, I had a really high, you know, 18% click-through rate on search, but I only had 3% on browse. Well, 3% on browse might not be a bad thing if it's going out to hundreds of millions of impressions. That's hundreds of millions of people seeing it. You know, it might not be bad. It just really depends on where you're at. So for me, uh, if I'm starting a new, new, new YouTube channel, it would be, okay, um, what is my predictable uh, traffic that I can get? Well, number one could be search. Or it could be, oh no, there's another, uh, um, a, you know, another YouTube channel that might have a similar audience that we could just do a collab with, or there's ways to uh, push and promote it with end cards and end screens or community tab. I just try to figure out where the traffic's coming from. And then I try to say, okay, what is the best percentage? Now, here's the difference. I want 100% of the traffic. I, 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 I'm not satisfied until it's 100%. So if I have 100% of the people seeing um, my content and are clicking on it, then that's good. Now, what if it's only 60%? Well, I got work to do. And I want you when that comes up. Now, keep in mind, I've seen content creators get 98%, Mr. Beast being one of them, when he releases a video, when it goes on the homepage, that 98% of the people click on it. Now, that goes down dramatically in the couple hours, you know, because it goes out to a more general audience, and it could come down to like 6% or 10%. But if I can get it when I release a video, if I can have the highest probability, then YouTube's going to do its thing, which is get it out to more people. And as it gets it out to more people, that's where the impressions come in because it, you know, it's going out to more people. And that's when your click-through rate goes down. But that's kind of my goal. I know that that's kind of lofty, but that's what I try to do. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's cool to even just tap into your mindset, right, around how you think. Um, what about audience? Like, what about the retention? What any any metrics there you could share with us that you you shoot for? Yeah, yeah, I view that a little bit differently because I know that not everyone that that clicks on it is going to be my ideal viewer. And um, for the ideal viewer, it's more about am I providing value of who I perceive is the ideal viewer? Um, and I want to keep as high as I can in that first minute um, the retention. Uh, that's where I put the bulk of the focus is usually in the first 30 seconds. And then the, the tail end 30 seconds is I really want to make sure that when someone clicks on that title and thumbnail, that whatever that content is, I'm not losing a lot, but I will have attrition because there are some people that aren't necessarily, they're appealed to the title and thumbnail, but they aren't my, my ideal viewer. And so I just want to make sure that that's minimized. Uh, so I'm getting the right people to watch and then uh, keeping them engaged along the way. And I, I'm telling you, um, people, and this will probably be a question you ask next, so I'm going to just answer it now. Well, what what size of video do you create? What How many minutes should it be? Should it be 10 minutes, five minutes, six minutes? I listen to a three-hour Joe Rogan podcast. I've watched the three-hour podcast. 
And I'm telling you, if you bring value and you, it's predictable value, then people are going to sit on a three-hour video or a 10-hour video. It's just like, can you bring value? The moment that you don't bring value is when they, they bounce out. You know, and there's been podcasts that I've only listened to for 15 minutes, but you bet your, your, your bottom dollar that I go back into that podcast as I'm not done yet. And I might listen to 15 more minutes and then another 15 more minutes and another 15 more minutes. And that's okay. Cause I just listened to the whole podcast. And so I, I believe as long as you're bringing value, you know, to the right people, they'll stay back. That's where your audience retention will get to its um, uh, highest point. And then two, you'll actually develop an audience that actually knows and cares about what your content, what you're creating. And, and some of the content that I love are essay driven content. So it's like, I know that this content creator actually will create a 20 minute video that I care about. And I don't know every detail because I know I'm going to learn something that I didn't know about that specific subject. And, you know, I'll sit through that every day when it comes out. Uh, but yet it's not a face on camera or anything like that, but it's predictable content that's consistent in bringing me value every time. And they, they rarely have they missed the mark, you know? And so when you can become that predictable, that's when you get an audience that engages, but will always, they'll, they'll actually get through the moments where it might not be as optimized as it could in the edit, or it might not be as optimized as good in the content itself, but they're willing to overlook that because they're so connected to who you, who you are and what your channel's about. Yeah, interesting. Um, last piece, you talked about getting people to watch more um, of your videos. Any tactics or anything you could share there? It doesn't have, I, I know you could talk about this for days. I know you wrote a whole yeah. book about it, but anything there you want to share? Well, you see uh, behind here, I have Star Wars. Um, you see that little poster there. Um, the, like the Star Wars world means everything to me. And I want to use this because this is probably the best point because it's still a sore spot for me. Um, one of the most magical moments of me, and I knew I wanted to be in film and television and, and making amazing videos is when I watched Empire Strikes Back. Um, and once again, I was you know in that eight to 10 year old range and I was eight years old actually. And, um, and that's when I'm like, man, this is like the most amazing video, uh, the most amazing movie of all time. I literally still think today that because of the experience that I had and the way that it's positioned, it was the best movie that I've ever watched. Now, was it cinematically? No, you know, whatever. But for me, it was, and it, it meant so much to me that I've watched that probably a thousand times. And I'm not exaggerating. I've like literally would wear out the VHS tapes when I had VHS and, you know, I literally, every time they come out, it doesn't matter if it's a, a digital version, special edition, I always buy it. And so I'm like, as hardcore as you can get to the original trilogy. And, and I have been uh, for quite a period of time. Okay. Now take that as what it is. So I'm like, I've read every star Wars extended universe book and all that other stuff. So I'm a star Wars geek is, is what you have. The last three uh, movies that was made, I probably wa I about walked out of, of Last Jedi. I literally, I about got up and left Last Jedi because they destroyed what was built in the first three uh, movies. They literally destroyed what Luke, Luke Skywalker meant to me. And I know that Rain Johnson, like, I, I, I get it. Like, I get what he's trying to do. I get the, the whole thing. And I know that J.J. Abrams was trying to fix some things. But I can honestly say I only watched it once. And I will not watch it again because it, it, it literally is disconnecting to me as someone that was so passionate about the community. Now, 
Let's change this for a second. Okay. So I, I became uh, super passionate about Star Wars. I read and watched everything to someone that could care less because Disney destroyed my Star Wars and they bring directors that didn't, they didn't even understand the culture of what it meant for me. And they just pushed it aside and they treated it like it was what it is for them. Okay. Which is I'm directing the Star Wars and I can do whatever the hell I want. Well, for me, you can't because there's, there's a reason why it's canon. I know, I know I'm super passionate about this, Nathan, but it, this will make sense. Okay. And it wasn't until um, I, I thought Star Wars was completely lost. I thought, okay, you just ruined my childhood and that's great, but there's a lot of us. And that's why it didn't hit what it could have uh, potentially hit because they're missing the segment of market that was coming on. They were trying to do things a little bit differently. I get that. Mandalorian comes out. Okay. Dave Filoni and, and Favreau. Okay. Two, two of the amazing things. They brought the magic back to Star Wars. I am literally a, 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 a Filoni fan. I will always be, he gets it. He gets who I am. He gets the culture and whatever he creates, I'll be more excited about that. And when you look back at what he's done in the Star Wars, universe, I love the Clone Wars. I loved, you know, what he was doing in and the Clone Wars, the cartoons, the animated series, you know, definitely understands the culture and, and to do it. But it was that moment. And I, I, I do apologize, but it's that moment for anyone that was, hasn't watched uh, Mandalorian, but it was the second season, last episode that was like, that's the Luke Skywalker I wanted. Like, that's what it should have been over there. Like he was just crushing everything. Like just, that's what it is. Okay. Now that's a long explanation, but it's really important to show you how passionate I am about it. Okay. Because I've spent thousands of dollars on Star Wars universe. My daughter and sons are Star Wars fans, but yet we only watch those, those other things because the content was disconnecting to an audience that had a preconceived idea of how that content could have been, you know, and, and I'm not saying that you have to, to uh, bend to what your audience um, thinks your content needs to be, but you need to satisfy the audience with what they're wanting. And all it, all it took was just having Luke Skywalker become what he ended on in episode six and continue that story in a way that he was the most powerful, you know, Jedi master that ever walked, whatever that may be, you know? And, and I think that is, what YouTubers need to have, have really understand like, Hey, I'm creating content and I'm creating this passion behind something that they can get behind. And if you're facilitating where you're always feeding that, not always satisfying them, but not deviating so much that they're not passionate about it anymore. And of course you're going to have attrition of people coming on and leaving, but it's keeping that core audience is what I call the core core. It's like the keeping those guys satisfied that you can actually uh, produce content that they can just rally behind because those are the people that are talking about it at, at, at work. They're talking about it on the street. They're talking about it in the grocery store. Um, and so if anyone wants to see this in action, uh, the, the example that I gave about the largest crowdfunding uh, campaign in history and film and television, that we crush the record. It's called the chosen, and that's what that's that show's doing here right now. Is our core core is out, you know, pretty much just telling people all about it. They're buying our merch, and they're opening up conversations, and they're talking about content, um, and they're the ones that are actually pushing the envelope for us. And so, getting them to watch. I know this is the longest answer that you've ever expected, but getting them to watch is predictably giving them content that will bring value in their life that they have to watch. They have to watch the next one. They have to share it with someone. Cause when I see a piece of content that really resonates with me, not only do I watch it, but I probably share it with four or five people 
on text message. I'll say, hey, check this out. Boom. And I'm growing that because of that. And I, I can prove that, you know, just in my own text thread. And I think you could too, based off of when you find something, you're, like, you're thinking of four or five people that would think that that was like amazing content, whatever that is, or they find value in that, whatever that is. And it might be a tag on Facebook or whatever, but you're thinking about that because that's what human nature is. When we find something that resonates with us, we already know four or five people that we want to share it with that feel the same way or might feel the same way. And it's something that we can talk about. That's the secret of really growing on, on online. Yeah, man, that was awesome. Thank you for sharing. Look, we'll work towards wrapping up, conscious of your time. A couple last questions, then we'll move to the hot seat. Um, curious, when a YouTube video goes live, it's not getting the initial, you know, how YouTube now has, you know, one to 10, you know, and it ranks you past 10 videos. Let's just say it's at number 10. Like, how fast are you changing things, tweaking things, or are you just letting it go? What, what's your thought process there? So I'm very sensitive to um, uh, momentum um, and knowing where the traffic's coming from. So if it's one of 10, um, I, I feel like I'm doing great because it's the top of the 10 videos there. But if I'm 10 of 10, I'm at the bottom of the list, there's something that needs to change. So in fact, on Sunday, we released a video was 10 and 10 and it was a really good video and it had our highest engagement on uh the video that we've had in in all 10 videos it actually had a lot of comments it had a lot of uh, positive feedback through thumbs up and i knew that there was something disconnected so what did i do i designed a different thumbnail um usually we have two or three thumbnails ready to go but that one only had one uh so i designed it and i made it exactly what we need to do and as of this moment is three of ten so what was disconnecting was the thumbnail wasn't responding well uh, with the type of, of title that we had. And so I uh, just changed the thumbnail. So how quick do I do that? Um, I usually wait um, at least a couple hours, but um, it really depends on where my traffic's coming from. And if I know, oh, you know, I'm getting a, a lower than uh, amount of traffic coming from browse feature and it's just coming through notifications, I probably should wait for a couple hours. So generally within the first three hours, I'm, I'm either adjusting a thumbnail or a title um, and then just giving a little bit more time based off of that. But you should be able to see immediately if it's going to help. When I say immediately, within a half an hour, you should be able to see if that's making a difference or, or if it's hurting. Yeah, wow. And just on that topic of thumbnail, any tips? Because that's golden, right? Like any any advice, best practices people should share when improving their thumbnails? Because that's massive. I, I probably and I wasn't going to push my book, but I just read the chapter on on uh, thumbnails. It's like um, there's just certain things. There's certain types of thumbnails that have proven to be on YouTube to work. And I pretty much outlined that there. And then I have some complimentary training, um, you know, that you can get access to as well. That's for free uh, once you buy the book. Um, but I think it's more humans respond very quickly to simple thumbnails that tell a story without words. So if you can showcase it without words, um, your eye is going to automatically just kind of pull in. And if you need to use words, just use them sparingly in a, a thumbnail. Um, and what they do is first glance is you grab their attention with the thumbnail and then they're going to quickly look at the, the title. And I've done so much, um, you know, research and study on this. I mean, I spent uh, a lot years 
of really trying to understand the psyche of what gets people to click and really diving deep in some really nerdy research with, with um, Netflix and YouTube and Facebook and any, anything I can get my hands on when it comes through uh, improving, um, grabbing people's attention online. Um, I, I've done. And so it's really getting that in a simple form. And generally, if there's a person on it, they respond better. If they can see their eyes, it's even better. If it's like full, full frame, it's even better. And then it's just segmenting in the rule of thirds. If you're familiar with the rule of thirds, if not, just get my book. Okay. Awesome. Um, one last question, then we'll move to the hot seat. YouTube SEO. What's your take there? Is is that a strong way to grow? Uh, yeah. Just talk, you just love to hear your take. Okay. So, um, here's, here's, and this could be misunderstood. Um, I don't believe that SEO exists anymore on YouTube. Um, and I do believe optimizing for people exists and the algorithm that YouTube is and the AI that it is, it looks for patterns of people. So if people are responding very positively for a keyword rich title, they're going to, to prominently put that, whether it's in search or discovery. Um, I think humans respond to keywords. Um, however, they respond to titling in a way that is um, that has been established. And that's why headlines are so important in, in emails and, and blog posts. Well, they should be the same in, in uh, YouTube videos as well. And having the right keyword combination can enhance the experience. And it's not only people that are going to find it through search, because that's what search engine optimization is. But I just want everyone to realize YouTube's making a decision on um, what shows up based off of, uh, you know, it is, is humans finding this and finding value. Okay. And there are, there's like, even uh, YouTube's getting so smart on the AI that realizes that you might only talk uh, about it at minute marker eight. And when you click on it, it goes to minute marker eight in the video. And they're doing that from YouTube traffic and also Google traffic that they're going right specifically in the video when you talk about some of those things. And, and so YouTube is very honed on what people are finding valuable, uh, whether they find it through search or find it through discovery. So optimize for humans and don't try to optimize for robots because that's not going to do you a hill of beans. When you optimize it for humans, the algorithm will follow that. And humans respond really well uh, to engaging thumbnails and engaging titles. And so does, so does YouTube because YouTube's basically seen, oh, this responded really well. People that search for it found value in it. Let's keep that ranked. That's how, that's how YouTube works. Yeah. Awesome. Look, thank you for sharing. Uh, last section that we'd love to go through is the hot seat round, 30 second answers. We've got four questions okay. for you. Um, That's gonna be hard for me, by the way. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I talked like ten minutes about Star Wars. We'll see how we go. Um, so, who's the one creator that's consistently inspiring you to make your content better? Uh, Mr. Beast, by by far. If you could have dinner with one entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be, and why? Uh, Elon Musk, um, because he's an implementer, um, he's a visionary that actually implements his vision, um, not, not sits back and expects other people to do it. Who shot first, Han or Greedo? Uh, Han, come on, come on. I, I'm so grateful for that question, but there's no debate. He shot first and it was his character that shot first. Come on, like he's a scoundrel. 
Uh, and then the last question is... I, I appreciate that question, though. That's probably the best question you could ask me. <laughs> okay. Oh, good. Yeah. So our producer, big Star Wars fan, I think he just slipped that All in right. for you. Yeah. Okay. Because so, we're doing it live. Like, yeah. Where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? I think you can go to any social media and just type in Daryl Eves, or you can go to DarylEves.com. Awesome. Well, look, we'll wrap there, Daryl. Thank you so much for your time. Um, that was amazing. And, uh, yeah, we won't take any more of your time. But, uh, yeah, we look forward to doing another follow-up call um, with uh, myself and the team. Thank you. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.